there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day the city of David, the Savior, who is Christ Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which for the Lord has made known to us and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made it widely known the saying which was told them, Corinthians, concerning this child and all those who heard it, mar- marveled at those things which were told by them to the shepherds. But Mary kept all things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Thank you, worship team. We still have some more things with music to, to go later on. Always like to have those special musics. Appreciate you folks getting them all ready. Would you turn over to Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, or just look up on the screen, whichever is better for you. We're going to take a look at two areas of Scripture. First is in Matthew 12 and 38 through 42, and the second is in Luke chapter 2. I entitled this sign or no sign. I was pondering some things that was birthed out of a conversation I had with one person after church. When Jesus talks to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, he says to them, no sign shall be given to this evil and perverse generation. When he comes and appears to the shepherds in the scripture that was just read, he says, this shall be the sign for you. So what is it? Sign or no sign? Do we get a sign? Do we not get a sign? Now, some time ago, we were looking at the office of a prophet, and we were looking at some of the aspects of a, of a prophecy. And when a prophecy is, well, we put it, when a revelation is given, when God gives a revelation through a teacher, through a pastor, through uh, an evangelist, someone who's teaching the Word of God, and revelation comes, you can check that revelation out by other areas of the Word. 
we divide Scripture by Scripture. So if somebody teaches you something, I'm not sure what that is, we can go back to Scripture, and we can see whether it's in line with Scripture or whether it's not. But when a prophet gives a word, very often you can't check it with Scripture because a prophet is often speaking to things that are going on in the current day or are things to come. So how do you check it out? And this is why most of the time that we see prophecies in the Word of God, they come with a sign. Something is given in the sign. When the, word of, when the word of prophecy came to Mary, there was a sign for her. The sign for her was she's going to be pregnant. And she knew there was no other way for that to happen. So that was a sign to her. Different ones, when they were given prophecies, there were signs that would come along with these things. Moses had a talk, conversation with God, and God gave him an assignment, and he gave him a word of prophecy in that, and he gave him a sign. And those signs were the two first plagues that were going to come, or first two miracles that were going to do for Pharaoh with the serpent and then with the hand. The hand turning to leprosy and then being healed and the, the serpent being turned out of his staff and then turning back into the staff again. When a prophet comes and gives you a word, there will be some signs that are involved with it. The first signs that come are the, are the signs for the now. Because in order for you to have faith in what is to come, a smaller sign is given for the now. Here in the Christmas season, there were a lot of prophecies that were going on. We're not going to look at all of those, but we are going to take a look at, at one of them for a particular purpose. Here in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. So he's saying to, the, to them, this is an evil and perverse generation. No sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah was that the Son of Man would be destroyed, put into the earth, and then in three days be risen out. They will reject that sign. They will do everything they can to cover it up. They paid people to say that they came and stole his body. They did everything they could to cover. They rejected the sign. Jesus was right in saying no sign will be given because there was an aspect of them that caused them to reject it. So I, I, we just kind of did some pondering on this, and I want to compare this to what we saw with the shepherds. Because with the shepherds, we saw, and this will be a sign to you. So right off the bat, here, this is going to be a sign to you. We got, we got something for you to see. So they have an evil, an evil generation. They had rejected some things. First off, they rejected the teaching of Jesus. They heard the teaching of Jesus. They saw the light in the teaching, and they rejected it. They said, no, no, that's not right. They rejected the miracles of Jesus. Very often they did that because it didn't conform to their standards. We don't like healing on the Sabbath. Don't do healing on the Sabbath. We don't like healing done in this way. Don't do it in this way. And they had a lot of, a lot of reasons for what they wanted. They didn't recognize the light in Jesus' teaching. They didn't like 
the way that Jesus didn't conform to their standards and the miracles, and they rejected the authority of Jesus because they didn't receive or recognize that he was of the Father. So they rejected his teaching, they rejected his miracles, and they rejected his authority. You will see that an evil and perverse generation, even today, will reject, first off, the teaching of Jesus. Secondly, they will reject the miracles that Jesus does. If they hear about a meeting somewhere and Jesus has healed people, they will reject the miracles. They will find something that is wrong with, with them. They will also reject the authority of Jesus, taking authority over their own life. Well, I don't think I should have to do that. They reject the authority, even today. Today, we have with us an evil and perverse generation, and we also have those that are like the shepherds who will receive a sign from God. Now, these, these uh, folks that rejected, they never questioned that they might be wrong. They never thought for a moment, you know what, maybe we're not right on this. Maybe Jesus did teach good things. Maybe we're not right. People that have this mindset will not question whether they are right or wrong. They know that they're right. They only questioned that Jesus was right. They didn't question whether they were. People like this are a setting for no sign shall be given. Now, I wrote this down. You don't have anything to write it down on. I didn't, uh, <laughs> I didn't go for giving you an outline tonight. But if we practice rejection for what God wants for us, we will reject, we will be rejected for what we want for ourselves. If we practice rejection of what God wants for us, we will be rejected for what we want for ourselves. Now, what happens is how many people, when they are in a bad state, when they are in trouble, when they need help, they go to God, God, I need this. And they expect God to come through. But all through, they have rejected God's light. They have rejected God's miracles. They have rejected God's authority. But when they come into a place where they want something, we're here to receive. I am ready to receive. Don't practice rejection of God because if you, re if you practice reception, if you practice receiving from God, when it comes time that you need to receive, you'll get it a whole lot easier than you, you do if you reject it. Go over to Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Let's take a look at this. This is only part of the Christmas story. I call this the penis part of the story. I do that because, you remember, Linus gets up there on stage and he reads this out. I love it every time this thing comes on the, on the air. Uh, Linus comes up there and he, let me get your attention. This is what Christmas is all about. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. How many of this would be a sign for you? Anybody? If a whole group of angels came up the, the lights turned on, and we have all kinds of light coming down upon us. How many of that? That's enough of a sign. Anybody ready for that? That'd be a pretty good sign right there. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I don't know if you were in the middle of a field taking care of sheep. All of a sudden, bright light showed up, shone down on you, a whole mess of people up there in the sky. <clears throat> there might be reason to be a little scared. He said, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there was born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Everybody know who the city of David is? Bethlehem. 
And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This will be a sign unto you. How many of you have ever found a baby wrapped up in clothes? You know, when they're babies, they like to be wrapped up tight. You go into the hospital, they wrap them, them babies up tight. They don't move because the baby likes being wrapped up tight. That's the environment they came out of. And so you wrap them up tight, they tend not to cry as much. And so if the shepherds come and find a baby wrapped up in swaddling clothes, clothes that just kind of swallow them up, would that be a sign? I mean, if you came up and saw a baby wrapped up in swaddling clothes, would that be a sign? Now, some years ago, we went over all the details of this. I'm not going to go over all the detail, but I know we've always got new people in. We're not uh, real sure about this. The reason that this was a sign to them, and this was intended to be a sign, is this is not any group of shepherds. He did not just pick a random group of shepherds. This is in the town of Bethlehem. The town of Bethlehem is real close to what city? Jerusalem. It's, very, it's just a few, few miles away from it. In the city of Jerusalem, during the Passover, and during other times, they need lambs. But in particular, during the Passover, they need perfect lambs. And so what they did to try and help this process out was they came up with a place to breed perfect lambs. And pretty soon they became specialized. And they had certain shepherds that were specialized in this birthing process and being able to tell right away whether they were perfect or not. If they were not perfect, they were rejected and they were sent someplace else. So these shepherds became known as the shepherds of the Passover lamb. In fact, they actually have a title for the tower that was there. Let's see if I, I can uh, find that for you real quick. There was, um, oh, it, it was actually a watchtower. That was here. These were known as the Tower of the Flock, or Migdal Adar. It's very near Bethlehem. This is the place, and their main purpose, their, really their only purpose, was to raise lambs for the Passover. And so what would happen is, if you had a lamb that was born and it was perfect, what these shepherds would do is they would take the lamb, and they would wrap the lamb up, very much like you would wrap up a baby to make sure that no, no, um, nothing was broken, nothing was, was hurt, to make sure that that lamb stayed perfect because we need to sacrifice lambs. And so we need to, to make sure that they stay perfect. So they would wrap them up. And so what would happen at this particular manger, this particular place where they would breed them, is they had clothing, swaddling clothes, that were used for this wrapping purpose. How many of y'all know, we know Jesus was born in a manger. Why would they have clothes for a baby in a manger? Are they expecting? Well, you know, one of these days, a baby's going to be born here. No. The reason that they do is they have these clothes in the manger, in the, in the place where they had these sheep, because they had to have them ready. These particular shepherds are shepherds who watched over these lambs. When they come in, he said, this will be the sign to you. When these shepherds came in and saw the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, they saw the baby wrapped in the very clothes that were intended for the lamb. That's why it's a sign. 
You pull any other shepherds out, you pull any other people out, it's not a sign. They don't know. But these folks know, wait, he is wrapped with the very clothing that we wrap the Passover lambs with. And you don't wrap those Passover lambs unless they pass the inspection that they are perfect. Once they pass the inspection that they're perfect and they're ready for the, be the sacrificial lamb, they're wrapped up in the swaddling clothes. And so they have all these swaddling clothes here at this particular manger. Most mangers don't need those. So when Jesus is born, they say, what do we have to wrap him with? Well, we have these, uh, these uh, clothes we use for the lamb. They'll do. And they, and they wrap them up in those. And so by the time the shepherd's coming over, the baby's been born, and they say, go to the, go to the manger, which one are they going to go to? They're going to go to the manger that they're responsible for. And so they come on over to this particular manger. Here's a baby wrapped up in swaddling clothes. They all probably stood back. <gasps> Do you see what's going? Do you see what? They're all looking for the Passover lamb to come. And now here's a baby wrapped in Passover lamb attire. That's why it's a sign. Now, see, that's not the prophecy. That's the sign. The prophecy is about things that are going to come. He will bless all people. How do we know that he will bless all people? How do we know that these kind of things are going to go on? Because we have the sign. We have something that is going on before him. We have something that is, that is smaller, but it is going on before. Now, if you want to read up more on this, you can go and do your own search and pull up online. I don't recommend Google, but... Uh, you can if you want to, <laughs> whichever one that you like to do. And just looked up Migdal Adar. If you want to know how that's spelled, it's M-I-G-D-A-L, two words, E-D-A-R. If you want to look that up, you can look that. You'll find some of the same information I'm telling you about here, and you'll even get to see some. Of, oh, we even pulled up some of the pictures. Thing. You can pull up some of, the, some of the pictures that were there. So they come here and they see this particular sign. They see this that had gone on. There was a prophet, Micah, who alluded to this place for the coming of Messiah when he said, And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. That's in Micah 4, verse 8. So they know where to go because they're familiar with this particular manger. Now, why do signs come? Signs come, as we told you, when you get revelation, when you get understanding, you can judge it by the word. When you get a prophecy, you can't always judge it by the word. You can judge some things by the word. You can't judge the whole thing by the word because very often prophecy is talking about things that haven't happened yet or are current day, just events that are going on now. And the prophet speaks to those particular things and ties in the word for it. So sign, signs come... Really, for two reasons. The, re the first reason that signs will come is the opposition will be great and the signs give you something to hold on to. The, the, the signs will come because the opposition to what the prophecy said is coming. The opposition will be great. If you want an example for this, Mary would be one. Mary had a prophecy that she would have to give birth to Messiah. But the opposition that would come against her while she's pregnant and unmarried was going to be great. The opposition that would come as she is continuing to raise Jesus because the enemy wants to wipe him out would be great. 
she needed to hang on to these things. Remember the end of the scripture that Lissy read? And Mary pondered all these things in her heart. She had to ponder all the things that were said. The sign was given. She became pregnant. I told her. That was the first reason. The second reason is that the word is for a more distant time in the future. It may even possibly be, be beyond the life expectancy of the person who heard it. And the sign is given as something for the hearers to see and judge by. If you want to see an example of this, go into the Old Testament. Many times in the Old Testament, a prophecy is given for things that would happen hundreds of years or even thousands of years later. But the sign was given for then so that they would know that this is legitimate, this is real. This is what God is going to do. This is what God is going to bring about. The Word of God is filled with prophecies. Some of them were for that day, and some of them were for things that are to come. But there were signs that were given. Those signs is, are something that we can believe or not believe. But those signs were given to help us hold on to these things that were for down the road. For a long time down the road. See, there's many prophecies about what Messiah will do in his second coming. There were many prophecies about what Messiah would do in his first coming, and those prophecies with a sign, something that was going to happen, so that they could hang on to those. But the people of Jesus' day didn't hang on to them, and they rejected them, they let them go. What we need to do, well, if you reject if you are one to reject the light you have seen, you are not one who will hold on to what God shows in either of these situations. If I show that I reject the light that God gives me, I'm not going to hold to a word that he gives me about what's going on now. I'm not going to hold to a word that he's going to give me about what's coming in the future. This is what I've shown. This is what I've demonstrated. Demonstrate your desire and determination to receive and hold on to the word that God gives. All through your life, work to demonstrate, God, I trust you. I believe your word. When you have the written word, show him. Father God, I know that you have said this in your word. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to reject what you said in your word. I'm not going to put off what you said in your word. I'm going to do it. There are many times that people and Christians, who, or even non-Christians, who are going through some kind of a struggle, some kind of a tough time, some kind of a battle, and they say, God, speak to me. God, tell me some things. God, tell me what's going on here. But I have practiced a life of rejecting what God has said. And if I practice a life of rejecting what God has said, then God knows you will not receive what I tell you. But you become responsible for it if he does. The reason that Jesus taught in parables was so that they didn't become responsible for what he taught. Because obviously, what they have gotten hold of, they've rejected. When you read in the Bible, the Bible says, live your life this way. Well, I don't know if I ought to, do, I think that's old. I don't think we ought to do that. I have rejected the word of God. When God says, thou shalt do this, well, I don't think I ought to have to do that. I have rejected the word of God. When God says, thou shalt not do this, I have, and I do it. I have rejected the Word of God. If I continue to reject the Word of God, how can God give me anything more? Now, here's the thing. I have seen people who continually reject the Word of God. 
stand, the Christian people, I'm not talking even unsaved, Christian people constantly reject the word of God and then want to stand up and say, God has said this to me. See, I know right away that is not right. That is not right. That is false. I don't need to see the signs. I don't need to see anything because you are a person who has rejected the word of God. If you have rejected the word of God, God's not going to speak any more to you because you've rejected it. If you remember this, was going back to, the, to uh, some of the things we've done. Abraham, let me remember Abraham. How many know that Abraham had God speak to him? God spoke to Abraham and God told Abraham something to do. And then God did not speak to Abraham for many years. And if you go back to the life of Abraham, you find out why. God told him, get away from your country, get away from your family, and go to a land that I will show you. And when he finally gets to that land, there's a famine in the land, and what's he do? He heads for Egypt. And God speaks no more words to him until he gets back into the promised land, and then God says something new. And God expands on what's going on. You see, if I don't put into practice what God has already shown me, why would God give me anything more? If God didn't do with Abraham, why am I saying he's going to do it for me? God desires to speak to you. God wants to speak to you. There is not a soul on this earth that God does not want to speak to. He is concerned about your situation. He is concerned about the things that you are facing. He knows what's coming down the road, even though you do not. And he wants to speak to you about it. But if you practice rejecting what God has said in his written word, if you practice rejecting what God has said in his spoken word, if you keep practicing and saying, well, I'm not sure that I'm going to obey this. I don't think I want to do this. I'm practicing disobedience, and the devil loves it when you practice disobedience because he knows he will, you will shut yourself off from hearing from God. You see, even when God speaks to someone else and gives them revelation, even when God has already spoken his word and you open his word and you read it, you read it and you can't see the light. God can't speak to you through it because I have practiced rejecting the word of God. Don't practice rejecting the word of God. Practice obeying it. Yeah, but I can't be like brother so-and-so, so-and-so, this person or that. Don't you don't have to. All you got to do is be you. What light has God given you? Every single person on the face of this earth has light. Every single one, whether they're born again or whether they are not. Every single person has received light. The question is, what are you doing with the light that you have? Not, our, not what you are not doing with the light that you don't have yet question is always, what are you doing with the light that you have? Don't get into condemnation. Well, I've, I'm, God, I'm a failure. I'm always going to be a failure. I guess there's just no help for me. Yes, there is. Because this day can mark a day that you change it. And this day can be a day that you say, I will listen to what God has said. God, a long time ago, you told me this. And I didn't do it. I know you said it. I know it came from you. I'm going to go ahead and obey it. It doesn't matter if he spoke it to you 30 years ago, 30 days ago, 30 hours ago. It makes no difference. Let me tell you one more story. This is a story about Moses. Moses, one of the greatest prophets in the entire Bible. God had more good things to say about Moses than he had about a whole lot of people. He said, of, of all the people that are on the face of the earth, Moses is the most humble. That man right there, the most humble man. And uh, we know that's true. Moses wrote about it. <laughs> How hard is that to put that in the, in, in the Bible? But, but that's what he wrote. 
But understand, when God started to deal with, with Moses about being the deliverer, he went out and he tried to do it in his own strength and he killed a man. And then they found out about it and they all came after him. And he rejected the word that God spoke and he went out way into the wilderness and he spent 40 years on the backside of the wilderness tending animals, livestock, and rejecting the word of God. 40 years of rejecting the word of God. Finally, God came to him at a burning bush. Don't think that was the first time God tried to get his attention. God tried many other ways, and he rejected it. He kept rejecting, he kept rejecting, he kept rejecting. God says, you are called to this. And he gave him, I think, one last chance. And Moses came, and you, if you go back to the story, go back to the burning bush story sometime over Christmas, just read it, and you will find out that everything that God said, this is what you're going to do. No, I can't do it. Moses, you are. This is what you're going to do. You're going to go before Pharaoh. No, I can't do it. <laughs> no, nope, find somebody else. Moses, I'm not going to find somebody else. I need you to go. Look, I can't talk. Go, we'll get your brother. Aaron, he's already on the way. We'll get him. He can speak for you. And then finally he says, all right, if you've handled all my excuses, I don't want to do it. Basically, is what he's saying. I don't want to do it. And God's, he gives him the, the final. It's basically, you do it or you're, you're, it's over. And so he does it. And he goes out and he, see, he had practiced for so long rejecting. The greatest prophet probably in the Bible came out of practicing disobedience, practicing rejecting the word of God. Don't think that if you have rejected the word of God for 10 years, that it's over for you. You're not in Moses' league Moses rejected what God said for 40 years. We know that to be true because it started 10 years before they were supposed to go, and God gave a prophecy, in 400 years, I'm going to pull you out of here. But God didn't pull them out until 430 because Moses was in disobedience for 30 years. God started dealing with them 10 years before the 400 years was up. 390 years, God starts dealing with Moses. He's got a 10-year plan to get Moses there, and Moses rejected it. If you practice rejection, then when what comes that you need, you will reject it. Don't do it. Go back over as you're taking time over the holiday. Go back over. What has God spoken to you? Don't talk it down. Don't make it sound like it's nothing. It was something. And until you obey what God spoke to you to do, then the next step will not be given. But there is a next step. There is another place he wants you to go. Listen to what God told you to do. Once you do that, then there's going to be another step. If you go back and you look at the life of Abraham, you will find out God told him this step. Once he finally did it, he got the next step. Once he finally did that, he got the next step. He finally got to the place where he was so at ease at obeying what God said. He came to the place of sacrificing Isaac. And when God says, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son, he said, okay, let's go. He was so used to doing what God said and knowing that it will work out that he told the men who went with him when they went up on the mountain, stay here, we will return. <laughs> we will return. He knew Isaac's coming back with me one way or the other. We will return. You see, he got to that place where God could speak something to him and he would listen. There's even more examples than that in the Word of God. We're not going to spend all our time on, on that here. But be a doer of the Word that you know. Pursue more 
understanding and do what you learn. Do what you know and pursue to learn more and then do that. Test, but don't reject the word that God sends. We're always told test the spirits. You can test what God said, but don't reject it. Compare what God said to the word. Look at the signs. Find the good. Reject the fake. You see, when you establish a pattern of obedience, a pattern of receiving what God says, that gets God's attention. We all have Christmas time tomorrow. How many people here, when you are celebrating Christmas, will have young children present? Appreciate both of you raising your hand. How many people will not have young children present? All right. Can you think back to when young children were present? When you would come up to a young child on Christmas time and you would say, here is a gift. How many people saw this response? I am not worthy. Anybody see that response? When they were, anybody give that response? When you were a little child and you were given a gift, how many of you said, I am not worthy? How many sometimes feel like that as an adult? Because of the way we've lived our lives. When God speaks to us, I am not worthy. But when we're little children, thank you. Any more? Right? I mean, when they get through the whole pile, what do they, what do they say? Is, is there any more? Huh? I'm ready. I mean, I'm worthy of more. Come on. <laughs> oh, wait. Grandmom hasn't come yet. When she comes, I'll get more. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, we got, we're, there, there's no, no worthiness problems. But how many can relate to this as you're an adult or, or you're getting closer there and someone comes up and gives you a, a present, what do we think? Oh, I didn't get them one. Oh. oh, I am not worthy of this present. And you see, if you live a life of rejecting the things that God speaks to you, when God does speak to you, you say, I am not worthy. I am not worthy of God. I am not worthy of God doing this for me. But when Jesus talks about little children, what did he say to the people? Become as little children. Become as little children. Because little children, they'll take anything. You can come up to him on a non-Christmas day and he, here's a dollar. Thank you. <laughs> you come up to an adult and say, here's a $100 bill. What do you need me to do? <laughs> right? But little children, they don't do that. You got a dollar. You got a $10. You got a $50. They'll just, thank you. That's it. See, you have a father in heaven who sees us as his little children. And he wants to give us things but he doesn't want us to reject him. Don't reject the word that God has given you. Go back and think about what has God said to me? What has God said to me? And practice obeying what he said. God, I know you spoke to this to me a long time ago, and I'm ready to listen now. I will do it. I know that was 20 years ago, but I'm ready now. And God says, just in time. Let's go. See, it's never too late with God. How old was Abraham when he had the kid? 100 years old. God says, yeah, we can, we can make this work. We can go. 100 years old. That's no problem. It's never too late for God. Turn to God and say, God, I'm ready to, ready to listen. All right?
All right. We can do it. Would you all stand up with me? I want to pray before Keith comes up and leads us in our candlelight part of the service. Would you everyone bow your heads? If you're here today and you can say, no one looking around, I have heard from God and I put it on the shelf. God has spoken some things to me, but I have put them on the shelf. Just raise your hand before God. All right, we got some hands around there. Pull that off the shelf. You know what it was? If you're not quite clear on it, just say, God, can you clear it up for me what it is you said? I need to know it again. He'll speak it to you. Look at Abraham. He spoke that same word to him a couple of times before he finally did it. Father, you see the hands of those people that are raised. They're ready to listen. They're ready to receive from you as they practice receiving from you. You will be ready to receive, to send more their way. Father, I thank you for all that you're doing to help. To help us understand and to help us to do the things that you said. Give you the glory and the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we go, one more example for you. How many have ever watched a baseball game? Anybody ever? Anybody never watched a baseball game? If you watch a baseball game, you know they got that little ball. And they throw that little ball to the person holding the glove. And the person holding the glove catches the ball. And what do they do? They throw it back. What would happen to that game if the person who has the ball thrown at them doesn't catch it? That game would come to an abrupt stop. See, when you're here with God, God is throwing things at you. He expects you to catch them. He wants you to catch them. And when we get them, we put it back in play. We do it. And then God throws another one. And when we take it, we put it back in play. And then God throws another one. And we take it, we put it back in play. Many Christians see that God has thrown something to them. They just stand there. Why don't you throw some more, God? Always ready to. But get in the game. Get in the game. Brother Keith. Sometimes we don't catch because we want God to throw what we want. Okay? And when we do that, we're missing the blessing that God has for us. We're turning our back on what God has for us. Everyone loves Christmas time. Because we get to celebrate the birth of the child. But we've got to remember that that child was sent here on assignment 
it was something that that child was given to do. And he had to be perfect and he had to be wrapped in the swaddling clothes of that Pascal lamb because he had to be the perfect sacrifice. Because we were slaves to sin. We owed a debt to sin that we could never, ever pay. So the one reason I, I love candlelight services, because candlelight services are examples, were biblical examples of how the gospel is spread. John 8, 12 says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Christ and his coming and the, his plan to save us from our sin. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The only way we can get there is through Christ. And once we discover the gift that is there, the gift that God has for us, the only way we can get it is coming from Christ. Sometimes it can be overwhelming. But the question is, how do we eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And in church talk, that's called sanctification. So we begin to do what we have to do, and we continue to do what we are called to do. As we accept the good news of Christ, we spread it to others. That's what we're seeing when we are sharing the light. When you find something that you can't keep to yourself, you've got to share it with someone else. And that is the biblical model of spreading the gospel. Matthew 5.16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, we're going to all be having an opportunity to share with family and friends, gift-giving and gift-receiving. We all love it. But when we do this, 
Let's think about the greatest gift ever given. The greatest gift that ever could be given. And that was the coming of our Savior. I got to do my football first if it's all right. For God so loved the world that he gave. So Jesus is a gift gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So when we're giving this gift, our gifts that we generally do, think about your opportunities you have to offer the perfect gift, the most exceptional gift there ever will be. The opportunity is the greatest you will ever have. Remember what we've been given, and like we've been given, give to others.